Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hi guys, how are you all doing? Are you well? I hope that you're all doing very, very well. Uh, you have come in on the third part today of this collection called Building a Biblical Sexual Ethic. So welcome. If it is your first time listening to the podcast today, please go back. I mean, go back to episode one. I know a lot of people are doing that. They they come into my DMs. They're like, I'm wading through. I'm, wait, I'm making my way through all the episodes, which is amazing. But just for now, just make your way back to the first uh, collect, part of this collection because it's really going to help you because each episode's building on top of each other. Hey, thank you to everyone again that's been messaging me. I've had some of the most heart-moving heartfelt messages from some of you who have been listening to this series and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then sharing your story with me. Um, This collection is for you. It's for you guys, but thank you for letting me know. Thank you for being vulnerable enough to share your stories with me. I'm truly, honestly honored that, um, that you would do that. So I want to talk today third part on, you know, what's the plan? Where do we go to from here? So we've done two episodes that were, um, you know, really needed before we started actually rebuilding. I think we had to unearth, unpack and pull down a few things. So I really wanted to take my time to do that because this whole thing around virginity, purity, you know, sex before marriage, after marriage and all these different ideas and thoughts around this whole thing has become very contentious. And um, I think we need to rebuild from the ground up. So where we've been on the last few weeks is we first looked at the reasons that we have taught virginity wrong and why it hasn't worked. Um, So go back and listen to that. And then last week, we talked about a few of the taboo things that we haven't focused on that we should be adding to the conversation. And by the way, that was not an endless list. I had so many of you tell me more that I've written those down as well. So I'm not sure if we'll get to all of them, but there were so many more things we could have added. Um, But the main kind of idea around that was instead of only talking about virginity, there are a host of other things we could talk about. And um, like I said, the ideas you guys gave me were incredible. We'll just hopefully see if we can address those at a later episode. But today I feel like the next step is to uh, establish, you know, what's the plan? What can we do from here? And this, this much I do know, God does have a design for sex and sexuality. We've just got to work out how we can communicate that better. And we also get to choose whether or not we each believe that. You know, for some of you that might be listening, you might not have a relationship with God like I do. And so you might not be getting your truth from, you know, from a biblical Christian worldview and perspective. Um, But if that's you and you're still listening today, honestly, I just take my hat off to you. You've got great courage to listen to something that you, you know, it might be completely unfamiliar to you. But in my belief, um, you know, I feel, oh, not I feel, I know that God 
created us as humans and therefore because he's our creator, he knows how he best designed us. So that's the place that I'm coming from. But we do get to choose whether or not we're going to believe it. But what we don't get to choose is whether or not it's it's the truth or not, whether or not that truth exists. It does exist. But just because we don't like the way in the past that the message has been delivered, it doesn't mean that the message isn't true. We just have to become better messengers, which is what this whole kind of collection is about. So today I want to teach us two things to start with that we can do to help rebuild a better narrative. Okay, this is going to help you whether you're a parent, whether you are a youth leader, whether you're a young person yourself, whether you are, you know, um, uh, someone in, you know, senior pastor of a church, whatever. This is going to be super helpful. Two very uh, simple but very powerful things that you're going to be able to walk away with today and go, okay, that kind of really helps to know where we can go. Because this is my issue with all this deconstruction thing. You know, people spend a lot of time pulling things apart, but then they never tell you how to help put things back together. And that really frustrates me. I'm like, that's not, that's not God. God, God does, you know, have a plan for us and the way that we should be living. So let's work out what that is and let's move toward a better narrative together. So this week I was having a huge chat with the Youth Alive Academy students and we decided that we would also tackle this whole topic of virginity and sexuality because sometimes I let them choose. I go, okay, guys, what do you want to talk about today? And I give them a few choices and they were hands down like, yep, let's do it. Let's do virginity. And it was a fantastic discussion. Now I've got about probably 30 young people in the room with me on last week when we were having this discussion. And I had an epiphany actually while I was talking to them. Nothing like having an epiphany while you're teaching Um, because I have been wrestling obviously with this myself on how to build a better sexual ethic, a better narrative, Um, because I wanted to be able to feel like I was really sharing something that would have been help that is going to be helpful and that will work for all of you guys. And so that's why I've spent the last few weeks researching, asking questions, listening to what other people have felt and what they know and what they've experienced. So there I was doing that again at the academy with the students, asking them questions. We were writing things down on the whiteboard and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was already doing the very first thing that I want to share with you today that we should all be doing when it comes to rebuilding a biblical sexual ethic. I also realized my brain was ticking over as I was teaching them because I realized I have actually been doing this for two decades and have been trained to do this as a teacher every single time I teach a lesson. And this is what it is. And it's our number one. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're driving your car, stop, open your notes and write this down. We have to begin by finding out where the people in the room are already at. Boom, right? Listen to that again. We have to begin by finding out where the people in the room are already at. This is very powerful when you are teaching like as an actual teacher, it's no good for me as a teacher deciding, well, I'm going to teach about rainforest today. So let's use this as an example. And then I proceed to sit there and talk at the kids for the next 30 minutes about all the information that I know and that I'm going to teach them about rainforests. 
anyone that's been through teachers college, anyone that uh, is a teacher knows that's bad teaching 101. That's not the way to teach. What does a good teacher do? A good teacher starts by asking questions. I find out what do my students already know? What experiences have they had with rainforests? Now, I might start by telling a story about the rainforest walk that Cameron and I went on. We actually did, by the way, at Mount Tambourine this week. You know, so I'd chat to them about that and then that gets them excited because they want to start sharing about their experiences. So I ask them about their memories that they have of walking in a rainforest. Now, I'm talking younger children, by the way, so usually they all have a story to tell. And then I ask questions, you know, what did they see and what did they smell and why do you think that was? And I listen and I draw things out of them, not only their experiences, but maybe what they know, what knowledge they have or what they think they might know about rainforests. And we write it all down on the board, exactly like what I did with the students. See, now I know what they know, I can better plan what my next lesson should be. So when I find out where they are at, I can better prepare to take them on the journey of where we are going. And then I go home and I adjust my teaching accordingly. What I've also done very powerfully is I've won them on board. I've aroused their interest and their enthusiasm to learn more. Now, it's the same thing with rebuilding a new biblical sexual effort, ethic, We've actually done it all wrong. We've just spat rules and scriptures and ideas at young people. We've made them sit through 30-minute, you know, lessons or devotions or sermons on virginity and purity and sexuality. But maybe instead what we need to do is find out where the people in the room are already at. You know, find out what have they been taught? How do they feel about that? What's their experience? Now, of course, some of this will be very private, but I had a whole room of, like I said, 30 young people talking the other day, and we had an amazing discussion without them having to air any private or personal details. Hear people out. Let them tell you why they might have struggled or maybe how they've seen other people struggle. Let them tell you why what they've been taught hasn't been taken on by a generation. Ask them. Because when we hear them and we see them and and know where they're at, we can better prepare to take them on the journey of what we need to teach them next. This, honestly, I I love young people. I find this young generation absolutely incredible. So, There we were talking about things like in this group or the the other day at Academy, like, you know, how can we still maintain standards on our leadership teams while still making people feel loved and not shamed? And so we were talking of stories like a girl who was serving on a volunteer team at a particular church, wearing their t-shirt logo every Sunday and how she became pregnant outside of marriage. And so we talked about, well, okay, if we've got standards that we ask people to meet to be a part of a leadership team, what do we do in that situation? Do we just take the t-shirt off of her? Like how shamed would that make her feel? Um, you know, but but we can, you know, tick the box that, well, we're maintaining God's standards, so we take the t-shirt off her. But are we therefore sending messages of, of shame? And meanwhile, the guy on the band, he could have a full-blown porn addiction. It's just that his sin is hidden, but hers was in plain sight. And these are the kinds of discussions that young people want to have. So let me give you just a few ideas on how you can find out where young people are at. 
before you go having, you know, big, um, you know, sermons on this or even series on this, I think it's really important that if you're going to do that, that we break it down first in small groups, make room for conversations. Life groups are a good place to do this. But also it could even begin just with the leaders that you've got in leadership meetings. Um, And of course, when you catch up individually with people. So before you go doing the big teach, break it down and know who the people, you know, what the people in the room in front of you, what their experiences are and where they're at. Because it is so powerful, I'm telling you, when we seek to know where people are at, they feel seen, they feel heard, they're more open to hearing what you think, Um, they're more open to hearing what you want to teach. It means we're not talking at them, but we're talking with them. And I think that's a huge key. We need to stop talking at people and start talking with them. And in that way, greater learning can take place. And I know that to be true as a teacher. They can sense our compassion And it's all inducive to a much healthier environment. So that's my first, my first massive takeaway. But that leads to the second thing that I did that I find myself doing often, but I definitely found myself doing last week with the young people at Academy that I also know is a huge key to helping unfold God's plan for things, particularly around sexuality. And that is number two, use stories and characters in the Bible. Okay. So let me say that again. So write that down. Number two, use stories and use people, characters in the Bible to teach and to rebuild. Let me explain. So when we were unpacking that dilemma that I just spoke about of the volunteer that got pregnant, we started talking about the woman at the well who Jesus knew was committing adultery. And we talked about how interesting it was that Jesus' last words to her were go and sin no more. And then we talked about how interesting it was that they were not his first words to her. So we unpacked that idea. We unpacked that story. We talked about how Jesus sat with her and spent time with her, how he stood up for her when others wanted to judge her. He said, well, Whoever of you is without sin, you can cast the first stone and how they all dropped their stones and went home. We talked about how Jesus loved her and never shamed her and fought for her. And yet he still upheld the truth that what she had done was wrong because he clearly did say, go and sin no more. But bringing up her sin was the last thing on his lips, not first. And so we talked about how Jesus was not about blanket rules, but individual people, which really takes us back to our first point, by the way, of listening to people. And we came to the powerful conclusion that Jesus treats us as individuals. He treats us in single file, so to speak. We each matter to God. And so this whole sexuality thing maybe should be approached the same way like as a case by case basis not just writing people off because they you know quote unquote broke the rules so i loved listening to that conversation unfold because they ended up coming to the conclusion that i wanted them to come to which was that jesus still had he had his standards and there and there is such a thing as sin but we came to that conclusion through unpacking a story and, and and what became the main focus was not so much the sin, but the compassion and the love. And so it's just so powerful when we use stories and characters in the Bible. 
We can't just learn a few scriptures about sexuality from Paul and then spit them at people. Like we can't build a whole biblical sexual ethic based on a few scriptures in the New Testament. We've got to use the whole Bible from beginning to end. We need to use people and their stories to build ideas and ethics as opposed to three or four individual scriptures. So what I want to spend the last half of this um, this episode doing, so the first half we've talked about the two different ways that we can start to rebuild by listening. Number one, by listening and finding out where people are at. And number two, through the power of using story and characters from the Bible. But what I want to do to finish off in the last half is to run through a few stories that we can use to teach powerful ideas. And so we're going to look at um, both Samson and David. Okay, so let's start with the, the story of Samson, which is very powerful. Now, I would start off by posing some thoughts and questions to get them thinking first. I would talk about how this generation have bought into the idea that sex outside of the container of marriage is no big deal. And I would challenge that idea, ask them questions about that. Is that true? Think about yourself. Think about other people that you know. Think about things like the, you know, hashtag me too movement, which I've actually done a whole podcast on this. So go back to that episode. I think it was called um, Why God Cares Who I Sleep With. But I talk there about the idea that, you know, sex is very powerful and we all know that. So could it be that when it's used in a way outside of how it was designed, that perhaps it can cause us harm? And of course, God doesn't want to see us harmed. So you can see that my narrative already is not one of, oh, here's a story, here's a rule, so go and obey it. I would lead them to think deeper. If God has a design, why would that be? And what does it do to us if we you know, choose to live outside of that? And that's where I'm saying like the Me Too movement can be a good, a good, powerful way of looking at the harm that it can cause when it's used outside of design. Um, the story of Samson can help with this because the idea in his story is that sexual sin harms us. It is a big deal. So we could pull out individual scriptures to say the same thing, like Hebrews 13, 4, that says, um, God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterers. Now the word judgment means declares right or wrong. So it's pretty clear, but just throwing that individual scripture at people, it's not necessarily helpful. So yes, the idea is that, you know, sexual sin harms us and continual sexual sin eats away at us. So a good narrative is to use, you know, after we've got people thinking around that is to use the story of Samson. Uh, now, just to go over it very quickly, Samson was a Nazarite. So he was to be set apart from by God. And as a part of that, he took a vow, three different vows about three things that, that he wouldn't do. Now, God loved Samson, had a great pe- plan for him. And part of the vow was that he was not meant to cut his hair. And that was the secret of his strength. So you can read his story in Judges and we, we know that he repeatedly sleeps with Delilah. She tries to trick him into telling him, um, you know, it, she tries to trick him into finding out what's the source of his strength. But he's so addicted to having sex with her that she keeps edging in closer and closer until he gives in and tells her his secret. And then we come to one of the saddest scriptures in the Old Testament, which is Judges 16.20, where it says he awoke from his sleep and he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free, but he did not know the Lord 
had left him. That is such a powerful scripture because Samson thought, I can just keep carrying on as normal. I can just keep on, you know, sleeping with this beautiful woman, doing what I want to do, and I can just awake from this and go out as before and shake myself free. But he wakes up one day and he can't. It's so powerful, a scripture. Um, you know, it wasn't his long hair, of course, making him strong. It was God. He lost his strength because he had lost God and he lost God because of his continual unrepentant sexual sin. So in the end, we see him walking around in circles, blind and hopeless. And so that's what sexual sin does to us. It can harm us. It can destroy us. It takes things from us. It's not God's best for us. Now, again, there are other scriptures we can use to back it up, like 1 Corinthians 6.18, that talks about other sins are outside the body, but sexual sin is different. So whether we want to admit it or not, God is saying, hey, I designed you, and whoever sins sexually is sinning against their own body. It is different. It does harm us. Um, But again, if we were to continue with the story of Samson, if we look back He was um, noted in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament in the Hall of Faith as a man of great faith. And so despite his story, if that's how God still sees him at the end of the day, then we can't be more judgmental than that. But just remember, not every young person is going to come to that conclusion. We can't force that, which is why we need to approach this with compassion and understanding. I mean, this is the conviction that I grew up with, that I believe that, you know, God designed sex a certain way and outside of that, that it would bring harm to myself or harm to others. And so I've lived my life by that conviction, but not everyone is going to share that value. You know, maybe, and I talked about this last time, maybe we've been brought up, um, to share different values. So we need to approach this with incredible care because what we don't want is that those who don't share our belief to not feel loved. And we don't want to force people to, to share that belief. Okay. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to do that convicting, not us to come in and, and be the judges and the arbiters of that. So that takes me to our second story that we can use, which is the story of David, King David. So if we can establish that first part, that sex outside of the container of marriage is not God's best for us, then David helps us to see what we can do when um, when we don't live according to that. So this story is for the ones who, you know, have that conviction that we just spoke about, but they have been sexually active outside of that. And Their conviction is that therefore they've done something, you know, they've done the wrong thing. But remember what I said, we can't force that conviction on people because we're not the Holy Spirit. And maybe people haven't grown up the same way that we have. And we need to remember that because um, otherwise we will tend to come across as, um, you know, as this is the rules and obey it or else. So presenting stories like Samson and letting God work on people's heart is what we need to do. And remember I spoke last time, or it might've been on the first episode, um, about how three quarters of young evangelical Christians are not virgins. So I'm talking like in church world. 
And so if that's the case, remember I said we need to start talking more about, you know, those that are not rather than just assuming that we've taught it and we've done our job. And so therefore young people are staying virgins. The reality is that three quarters, the quarters of them are not. And David's story is their story. David is them. And God refers to him as a man after God's own heart, which is very powerful. David's story is a powerful story of redemption, not shame. But again, his story will only resonate with those who believe that sex outside of God's design does cause personal harm to them. And without that belief, they will not think that they've done anything wrong. And so the idea to teach here is that God has a plan for our sexuality. And when we walk outside of that, it does cause harm. But the way forward is to respond with a soft heart. So David still messes up like Samson, but it ends differently because he behaves differently. Now, David is one of the most famous adulterers of the Bible, one of the worst sexual sinners of the Bible. You can read his story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Um, Just to quickly recap, he sees Bathsheba, uh, another man's wife, on the roof next to his bathing. So he sends for her. They sleep together. Then she gets pregnant. So oops, they get found out. But to cover up, he sends her husband to battle and then has him killed. So now he's an adulterer and a murderer. And then a prophet comes and in a very smart way points his sin out to him. And then it just, it all hits David. He realizes what he's done. He's realized the harm that he's caused. Now he could be like Samson and continue, but instead what he does is he repents. He says, sorry, I've done the wrong thing. And Psalm 51 is his public repentance. But you know what I love about it? If you read that, it's such a powerful psalm because what matters to David most is he doesn't say, God, please don't take my reputation or don't take my family or don't take my role as king away. What he says is, please don't take your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit. So again, we can see that David, he is a man after God's own heart. He loves God and he honors God. Therefore, he wants to honor God by the way that he lives. So remember when you're talking to young people, Do they love God like David loved God? Do they love God like you love God? Maybe perhaps you're listening and you don't have a relationship with God like I do. And so I want you to hear me that, you know, God understands that. And we can't force people to honor a lifestyle from a God that they might not love the way that we do. And so we just need to be careful in the way that we teach this. But that doesn't take away from the truth that I believe, which is that God has a design that's best for us, but it's not about following rules. It's about living in a way, in living our best life the way that God designed it so that we don't bring harm to ourselves and, and to others, of course, as well. But remember what happened to Samson. Remember Samson didn't turn away. He continued in his sin. And what happened was the presence of God was taken from him. And that's why Psalm 51 is like the complete opposite of this, because David's like, please don't take your presence from me. Um, Because David understands that the result of his sin could be that that same thing happens, but he repents. He's like, I'm sorry, God, I, I haven't done things your way. I've hurt myself. I've hurt others. And he takes responsibility. Um, and then we see that David's restored and redeemed and, um, you know, God refers to him as a man after God's own heart and he does incredible things for God. And the thing I love about David, the big takeaway here is David doesn't repent and then 
you know, receive restoration only to turn around and teach a set of rules around sex and prevention after that. What does David do? He teaches nothing but God's love. He teaches that God doesn't want the externals. He wants your heart. He looks at the internal. And so I think this is the the, the big kind of conclusion we need to come to is this whole thing, virginity, sexuality, you know, God's design for it. All of this is about one thing. It's actually about our heart. It's not about our behavior. And I think that's what David shows more than anything else. At the end of the day, he's a human being. He messes up. He does the wrong thing. He, you know, takes something from someone else's uh, wife. Um, But at the end of the day, his heart is soft. And so I think we need to remember when we're talking to people that we need to be talking to their hearts and considering their hearts, not just spitting a a list of rules and scriptures at them. So I hope that those kind of couple of things helped you. Let me quickly recap before we finish. So the first thought is to begin by finding out where the people in the room are already at, have conversations, listen to them. The second thought is using stories, which are very powerful, a very powerful way to build um, a healthy biblical ethic. And of course, I've only given you two today, which is the story of Samson and then the story of David. But just remembering with all of that, we can teach this biblical sexual ethic, but it is up to each individual decide to decide whether or not they're going to take it up, whether or not they're going to live by these same values. And our job, therefore, is to present it in the most compassionate way, but then to always make sure that people feel loved and accepted. Always be the person that people can come to to talk to. You know, I've got many Oh gosh, there's many different girls who um, are living differently to how they know my values lie, but they always come to me and talk to me about things. They know what I believe, but I'm so glad that they come to me and are open and talk to me about things because that shows me that what I'm conveying more than anything is, yes, I've got my set of beliefs, but I'm always a safe space to come and talk to because I love you because God loves you. So there you go. Guys, I hope that you found that helpful. I feel like that's just one little kind of building block today. Um, So I'll have a think about where I want to take this um, next week. Um, But as I always say, come into my DMs, come chat with me. Let me know what you think. Give me some more ideas because I always uh, take them on board. Anyway, have a fabulous, fabulous week and I will see you back next week. Bye.